Broadcasting live from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All studio at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee. Alongside former Packer Brian Balaga, here's Emmy Award winner Homer. of your day because the truth will be told. It's Brian Bulaga's Homer Hour. Good evening, Doctor of Football. How we doing? How We're doing, doing fine because 30 years ago I said it made no sense or whenever they started the, uh, what is the thing they have in Indianapolis? The boot camp? <laughs> the, the combine, but it the is combine. The I've never <laughs> understood why a coach ever went. Why do you go? Yeah. It, What's it, the it, point it, of a, the GM's going to pick the players, he knows your input, and I don't know what they do that. You can't be interviewing just the players that you're going to take because then all the teams would know who they take. Uh, who who did you talk? Did you even talk to the Packers at the Combine? No. I, I did, yes. Now, I did. A, a coach? G, uh, scout? Oh, yeah. What? Yeah, the whole room was full. Okay. Coaches, offensive coordinator, head coach, GM. So with uh, very, how many teams did you do that with? Uh, I probably talked to uh, 22 to 23 teams. Okay. It was a busy week. So there would was, have been people there even if the coaches didn't come. I would, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. GM and all the scouts. Correct. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to me, and I said this on KBN, you know, just before this, but to me, the coach, I, I, the only reason why if I was a coach I would be there would be to maybe talk to these guys and get a feel for them. Right. Um, but watching them run in a straight line, watching them jump, Watching them bench press is just a waste of time. Like it really is. It, it is. It is a waste of time. It's like I looked at the combine as the biggest thing that I wanted to accomplish. It wasn't a forty time. It wasn't agility drills. To me, I wanted to knock the offensive line drills out of the park so that teams could see my footwork, um, how I am out of a stance, how I am in space, moving laterally. That's what I cared about. I didn't care about running a fast 40. Like, yeah, everyone wants to run a good 40. Everyone wants to run a good short shuttle. Everyone, every lineman thinks they need to get over 25 on the bench press. I get it. That's all good stuff. Not really, but it is what it is. That, that's, <laughs> Wait a minute. That's, if, I that's had a, the... if I had a kid that was going to go to the combine, I wouldn't, he was an offensive lineman, I'd have him talk to you. You should, yeah, I mean, you should, have, a, you should have a site on the, on the Internet. Help people out. <laughs> Hi, you should do. I'm Brian Bulaga. Here's what you should know regarding the combine. Help, help some, uh, help some offensive linemen out. Yeah, and you know, the, the, I say it. And obviously, there's guys that um, this is a big job interview for them, right? And and things, you know, guys that could get picked in the later rounds, uh, they can they can you know make some headway if they have a good showing in all departments. Like, oh, I didn't know that guy was that athletic. But like to me. The coaches see everything right. from the tape, right? right. Like yep. you, you know about these guys from tape, and then if you really want to get to know them, you bring them in and you talk to them, and you and you kind of, you know, 
pick their brain a little bit. And if it's not about X's and O's, it's just figuring out the guy himself. And if he's a fit for your locker room and the culture. Right, that, as a um, coach. But here's here's what it comes down to me. And I, you can answer this. All right, so I go and I talk to these people, and then they, they don't take him. Like, my only point to be there would be to give advice to the GM and scouts as to what I think, right? Yeah. Otherwise, there's no reason to be there because I can start working with the players after they're drafted, right? The only reason I Correct. go there ahead of time. Well, if I make suggestions and they never do it, why the hell would I go? I mean, listen, I I, I, I agree with but you. Like, I, don't, I ask this because I don't know. But I never, I, I, I always thought, and maybe this was with Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren, that, that I mean, Wolf cared about Holmgren, thought he was a good coach, but he was making the decisions, and I don't know how many, if ever, were based on Holmgren thinking different than he did because Holmgren doesn't know as much, and Holmgren cares more about the one year, the next year, than the following few years. So I I, I defer to you and everyone. Like, I, have, I, I think we were there in Indianapolis one year because Marquette was playing, and we went to that place, Elmo's, where they have the oh, yeah. horse ranch the, sauce. The, I thought yeah, it, yeah, the, I thought it was going to knock me out. I, I thought it was. Yeah. I literally, I said to him, like, do you tell people? I mean, I had heard of it, but oh, man, if you have any, uh, you need your sinuses cleared out. Oh, man. The oh, strongest yeah. thing. Anyway, <laughs> they're just all, they're all these coaches and stuff. They're just sitting there drinking and having fun. And I thought, hey, why would I go unless there's an indication that my time there serves a purpose? Now, it may be that I want to talk to other coaches and have a good time and. If what I'm saying doesn't have any impact, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is a social gathering, right? Like, yes. it is certainly a social gathering that uh, the coaches, you know, they like to, you know, maybe let off some steam and things of that Especially nature. Especially if they know that being there's a waste of time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, mean, I don't like, know you, this for sure. But, like, and they talk about the Packers where, well, uh, how did the GM and coach get along? I, I've never thought that they were that close. The The GM shows he cares about the coach, not by what he says, but by the players he takes. And then yep. is it most important that you take Brian Bulaga because he's a good player versus whatever kind of player the the head coach wants for one? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, believe me, I'm, take I'm, away. I'm with you. I, no, I'm with you. I think, again – it to me everything like obviously it's different with like Belichick right because he was drafting guys right? yeah he was the, guys, he did everything yeah. he's like a college yeah. coach yeah yeah he he, he did everything yeah. he was there and in the stands and doing all that and and maybe there is a couple guys that these head coaches that their position coaches have really marked high in a position of need that maybe they do want to go see just to put their eyes on them who knows like right like there's a lot of what ifs but at the end of the day you're right. The GM's making the call, right? Like, it's the GM. It, I mean, whether or not the head coach thinks, obviously there's input from the head coach. Like, I don't think this guy's going to fit what I need to do. At the end of the day, that's for the GM to decide, right? Like, that that's not going to be the head coach's decision unless it's a guy like Bill Belichick or someone like I that. I guess, so, but you've been around teams, and you hear things. I don't know if you ever heard, hey, uh, the coach would have liked this player, that player, I think in general. Coach is looking short term and the GM's looking long term, but but I could be way wrong. I just never, I never you know, thought they were that close. And I admit, I want to say I have a bias. This okay. is the thing that irritates me the most. A place where I worked, they asked me my opinion on something, and they said, "You you don't care what I say, and that's fine." No, no, we want to know what you think. 
And I told them what I think, and they go, five seconds later, well, we're going to go the other way. I thought, why did you even ask? (laughs) If nothing else, after you ask, wait until the morning to decide so I can at least think that I maybe had some influence. Five to eight seconds later, ah, we're going the other way. Because I think there's a checklist. Ask Homer. Check. Care what Homer says? No, that's not really on the list. And so I don't know if coaches just went there because that's what you were supposed to do. But I'm, I've been surprised the whole time. But maybe because something's going on there that I don't understand. But if I'm there and the GM isn't listening to me very often, I'm just going to – I would go there to talk to coaches, and I might want to talk about different plays and stuff. I'd, I could find it as helpful – just discussing things like friends that are on other teams. I mean, that's what I thought. Lafleur has got friends everywhere, right? On all this, oh, yeah. yeah, the yeah, club should get together, have a big meeting there, and chit chat about all the different things. And you know, I assume they're they're willing to talk and analyze and throw out some ideas, even though they're competitors. I don't I don't know about that either, but yeah, you know, we we never really heard too much from you know any chatter about guys at the combine and what they're you know that just that stuff never trickled down to the locker room i mean maybe high level guys like aaron knew what was going on there and what they were trying to do but guys like myself we didn't we didn't hear any of that chatter i mean obviously all of our coaches went campy was there every single year um evaluating guys campy actually was one of the coaches and i know i mean actually talking to him and knowing him personally um, outside of football, he was he went there and he watched guys and he watched how they moved and if they would fit in a scheme and things of that nature. And, um, you know, whether or not his feedback mattered to Ted Thompson or Goody, I don't know, right? Like I, I, you asked Campy, and I'll bet you this is also true. He went there to look at all these people and then obsess his opinion and then see how they played to, to determine how correct he was. Maybe it would have liked him. Wow, I remember that guy. I like this guy. I... I think he was just becoming an encyclopedia of all offensive linemen everywhere. And who knows what he looked at and discovered. And even if the person never played for the Packers, who didn't start with the Packers, he had some opinion based on what he observed at the Combine to see if his opinion was accurate or if maybe the game was changing or different players were successful. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think because obviously, you know, in this league, guys may stick around a team for three, four years and move into free agency. And if he's available and you guys are looking for – a guard or a tackle, you know, what the coach remembers from him based on tape when he met him at the combine, things of that nature. Uh, he could be a resource because it's not just the formal meetings that happen, right? There's the formal meetings where you go into the team room and you meet everyone. And then there's the informal meetings that happen at the train station. The train station is a free for all, right? So you walk into the train know. station. What do you explain? No, I'm telling you. I know, I'll but what, you the train station at Indianapolis? Yeah, so it's in the hotel. It's like old train cars that they okay. have set up. And you just go in there. And, well, the hotel's based on train cars. I don't know if they stay at the same one anymore. But you go into this room, and it's an old train car, and it's full of tables of all just position coaches and scouts. And they're grabbing you left and right. There's no rhyme or reason. There is no um, there's no rules, right? They All just right, who's the guys. first like, person who grabbed you? You got to remember the first person that you uh, sat down. With. I'm I'm pretty sure it was someone from the Colts. Okay, and they grab and they grabbed me to just do a another arm hand measurement, and that was the first thing. And then I think I got grabbed by someone from the Ravens, and we sat down for literally five minutes. And then I think 
it wasn't campy. It might have been someone else that came and grabbed me and literally said, all right, I'm going to grab him. And it's just, it, it's literally just like a, it's the Wild West. All right, guys so what just, did you learn? I would like you, I would have liked you to have written a book right now of what, what I learned at the scouting combine, what your observations about a person or maybe a team, like they got no clue what's going on. Oh man, these people are sharp. They are. They got it. You know, I don't know if any of that was the way you thought, and how much of, if any of it, became accurate. Yeah, I mean the one the the, and this is probably won't surprise you. I mean the the one team that I felt was a really bad interview, and not because of my answers, but just because of kind of the organization of it and just how the meeting went was was the Raiders. It was really really bad. They asked a lot of like weird personal questions. Right. Um, and it just, it, it made no sense. Like, and then the, the, even the weirder part is that they flew me out for a, for a private visit as well. They flew me out for a private visit and I went out to Oakland and I did the private visit there and that went just about the same. Like it was, it was very strange. Um, and you know, listen, I'm not saying, I mean, obviously the staff that was there wasn't there long and they, they probably got fired a year or two after that. So it wasn't like they were, they, that they stuck around for well, a while. But I'm but. thinking that you made that observation and when they struggled, you went, can't say I'm surprised. No, a hundred percent. But I don't I know mean, if it's accurate or not. I said, everybody. So other teams, um, who was of the people that interviewed you? Who was the smartest? Who wowed you? I mean, the team that wowed me was the Patriots. I went in there and Bill Belichick, Brian Ferentz, who obviously is the son of Kirk, mm-hmm. who was on staff at the Patriots at the time, and the GM, three chairs just lined up, no one else in the room. And we just sat there and just talked about life and things for 10, 15 minutes. And it was it was I went into that meeting going, this is going to be very stressful because obviously I know Kirk and, and Bill are very close. Um, obviously, I'm sure at the time Kirk wasn't happy that I was leaving college. So I expected this interview to be a grill session, like hardcore grill session. And then I opened the door and Brian Ferentz is sitting there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here we go, dude. I'm about to get roasted for 20 minutes straight. And I'm just going to have to take it. And it's it's going to be brutal. And it was probably the best interview I had. Like I walked, I walked in stressed out and I walked out like feeling great about it. Like I felt really good about the interview and just the conversation. Did you immediately check to see what number they were picking the first round? Cause it's 27 and the Packers took you at 23. I will bet you will believe forever that if you had been around at 27, they would have taken you. Correct. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. If I was there at twenty seven, I would have been a patriot. I, I mean, just knowing how how Belichick likes offensive linemen and he trusts Kirk with his development and things of that. I and and how Kirk runs his program and and how Doyle, the strength coach, did like it, it was like almost a they would have. But you know, hey, I'm not. I'm very happy where I went. I'll put it that way. Very very happy with that. With with ended up in green Bay. I mean, it was amazing, but the whole week or it really, it was like three, four days was just a stress bomb. I mean, how they do the medicals. It's so unorganized. It's so chaotic. It's just, it, it's a mess. And sitting in an MRI waiting room for three, four hours at a time, they stuff you in a tube, pull you back out. Now another doctor wants his own MRI on the same body part. You have to go back in the tube for 40. It's, 
it's just a mess. It really is. And um, I, I don't know if they've changed that up or have streamlined that process. I can't imagine that it's gotten better, but maybe it has. I, I haven't talked to anyone about it lately, but the whole week is to stress guys out as much as humanly possible and see how they perform when they're low on sleep. Um, their nerves are high, anxiety's high, and they still at the end of the day have to go do physical testing at the end of these three days of staying up till 1030 at night interviewing and waking up at 3 a.m. to give a urine test for for the drug test. Like, it's crazy stuff. Like, it really is. And um, that's why I'm not a big fan of of the combine, because I think there's a better way to do it. Uh, and obviously, I get it's a it's a big interview for a lot of guys. And I, and I get that. Not, not everyone's a first round pick. Not everyone's a second round pick. I get it. But th- there, to me, there's a better way. There's right. gotta be a better way. I didn't realize, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but I mean, you are in a historically special part. Uh, Gresham, Thomas, both pro bowlers before you, and then you should have been in one Des Bryant. The mistake was 25 <laughs> Tim Tebow. And yep. Arizona took Dan Williams, and then uh, Cordy was taken by the uh, the Patriots with pick 27. So uh, a number of great players there in a group of about 13 uh, or 15. Um, yeah. Yeah, the, the the late picks in that draft ended up being pretty good players throughout the league. Obviously, the, the top guys, you know, you know, Sue and Trent Williams and uh, Gerald McCoy – uh, the Jaguars had an interesting pick at five that kind of made the whole draft board turn upside down. Um, Tyson Alualu, I trained with him at in Arizona. Great dude, fantastic dude, good athlete and everything. But it was, no one was expecting him to go five or whatever the he, Jaguars He actually were. went ten. Or he went ten. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. No one was really expecting. Okung went to Seattle. Yes, he went six. Um, yeah, and, and then, then there were other, others. Davis went at eleven. Yeah, um, he retired early, and all yeah. that thing. All that right. he had in we'll San see Francisco. what Jason thinks. I've said I don't understand why any coaches would go unless there's a history of the GM listening to him. What does Jason think? Next, Jason Wilde is brought to you by Boucher Automotive, where we ride with you every mile. 18 dealerships, 15 brands, and thousands of vehicles in stock. Check them out at Boucher.com. The only time all week when I'm not a good listener, but a great listener, Brian Villaga, the doctor of football with Jason Wilde. Take it away, Doc. Jason, good evening. Good to talk to you. How are you? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me. And I don't think Homer's ever a great listener, even when the two of us are going back and forth. Thank you. <laughs> so Fair. before before we get into combine talk and kind of what Homer and I were were talking about before, what was your takeaway from the the press conference of the new DC? What did you take away from it? Um, I didn't watch the whole thirty minutes of it because I knew I'd get I'd get to talk to you about it. So kind of what uh, what did you take away from it? What's your feel? Kind of how this is going to work out. Yeah, I thought he made a really good first impression, Brian. I mean, uh, again, he hasn't coached a game. He hasn't uh, had his defense give up a game-winning touchdown drive. So it doesn't really matter if he makes a great impression in his press conference. But nevertheless, you know, I think he's a smart guy. I think he's 
someone who's flexible. But I thought the most interesting thing that came out of it was that I think people thought, okay, Joe Barry has played this umbrella, extensively zone scheme, keep everything in front of you, don't give up the big play. Uh, on third and five, have your corners eight yards off the line of scrimmage to make it easy for them to convert. And now this guy's going to come in, especially having historically been heavy on press man coverage, both as a defensive backs coach in the NFL and as a college coach. And now it's going to go back to the old days from just before you arrived when Al Harris was out there playing press man coverage and going to Pro Bowls, even though he wasn't intercepting many passes. And I think it's pretty clear that's not going to be it. He talked extensively about his philosophy being vision and break. So what he, he's going to run some zone coverages, and I think you can do a far better job of explaining them than I can, where he talked about how you're not looking for people, you're not worried about that, you're – your biggest thing is to be able to break a hundred miles an hour at the ball carrier and that there's going to be multiple people in position to do that. And so it's going to be a different type of zone, but they're going to, they're basically going to play zone game extensively. And then when they want to blitz, then obviously you can't play zone as effectively. So they're going to then have to do some press man coverage. But if Packers fans were thinking, and again, you could play zone coverage and still not be eight yards off the line of scrimmage. But if you were expecting, you know, a lot of press man coverage because that was going to be what frustrated you the most about the Joe Barry system, and now it was going to look more like you were hoping it would when Joe Barry was doing that, you're not going to get exactly the opposite of what you saw from Joe Barry. I thought that was the biggest takeaway I had. Yeah, I mean, I think based on – you know, what you said and kind of how he's explaining this. I mean, the the team that I could think of that did that the best, that played zone was Seattle, right? All the corners butts to, to, were to the sideline. Their eyes around the quarterback. Sherman and was always great at it. It was the cover three mm-hmm. defense, butt to the sideline, you know, playing in your zone, but you're looking at the quarterback and where that ball's being thrown and you're making breaks on it. And that's kind of what this sounds like. Um, we're – you know, we're, we're going to be seeing and which, Hey, the system's great, especially, especially if you get the guys that do it right. Like obviously Jair Alexander can do it. He can play press. He can play that style of, of cornerback for him. My only question is, do we have the rest of the defense, especially in the back end to play that style of defense? And that's kind of where we went last time, Homer talking about free agency and the draft. And do we have the kind of guys that can fit that mold, but that'll be interesting to see how he implements that and how, where he, and where guys end up playing, right? Like, I think that's the biggest thing. We have a bunch of guys that were corners and they went and played safety and, you know, it, it's a interesting dynamic, but I'm excited for it because I think it, it is a change. And obviously if we can all remember Seattle, those guys weren't seven yards off the ball. They were in your face showing mannish tendencies and dropping into cover three, but eyes on the quarterback and super aggressive. So uh, I'm excited about it. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be fun. Um, it'll be an aggressive defense. And he, he could say what he wants about the back end, right? He could talk about it till his face is blue. But that's all dependent on what the front four do. And that's just the bottom line of it, right? You can play aggressive in the back end, but 
if you're letting the quarterback sit back there for four seconds, you're going to get picked apart no matter who you are. So that's the way I, I look at it. I think it's going to be a front four uh, dominated front, but again, we'll see. At least I, I hope we see. Yeah. And, and look, he's obviously, you know, he's been influenced by a couple of different uh, people, right. And, and certainly Robert Sala is chief among them. So I think when you look at what the 49ers do, they count on that front four uh, to, to get pressure. Unless, of course, in the Super Bowl, the Chiefs are getting uh, away with murder in terms of holding, and then they have to blitz more. But yep. that's, their, that's what they're predicated on. Uh, LaFleur said they watched a ton of Houston Texans tape, which obviously yeah. D'Amico Ryans had been the defensive coordinator with the Jets, so that makes yep. sense as well. Um, and, and so I, I, I think obviously, uh, this is why Homer does such a good job of listening. I think your insights are, are as always right on, but your question is what I want to focus on because I think this is the important question about what are they going to have in the back end? I mean, look, you're yep. right. I think Jair Alexander is a good player, no matter what scheme he's in. Um, you mentioned Richard Sherman. So did Jeff Halfley. Uh, that he basically played this system better than anyone ever has, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Halfley mm-hmm. also had Darrell Rivas, who was one oh, of yeah. those corners that whatever you need him to do, he can do because he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, but beyond that, you know, one of the things that Halfley talked extensively about, and you heard it, was about the safety position and what he wants in a safety. Uh, and while he may have described the perfect safety, which the Packers don't have right now under contract, the Packers really don't have anybody uh, yeah. under contract. Like Benny Sapp uh, is that's basically the list. Um, mm-hmm. So they have to figure out does the savage fit what they want to do? Uh, because he certainly was not properly utilized in the Joe Barry system. So do you want to re-sign him? What's his market going to be? How is he going to fit with the, what Jeff Halfley wants to do? Uh, and does he want to come back or does he you know, want to get a fresh start, not just in a new scheme with a new coordinator in Green Bay, but a fresh start with a completely different team? You know, That's part of free agency. Part of it is that both Jonathan Owens and Rudy Ford, who you know, are not Troy Palomalu and John Lynch by any stretch, but were competent players for you, are those guys – two guys that you're interested in re-signing because they're both free agents as well. Uh, In the draft, you've got five picks out of the first 91, uh, 25, uh, 41, 58, 88, and 91. Uh, Do you want to use one of those picks on a safety? Um, Because we've seen... Guaranteed. Well, we've seen seen a second-round pick be used on a safety in Nick Collins and long before that uh, on Leroy Butler, who started as a corner. But I would say that them drafting safeties, whether it's ha-ha Clinton Dix or uh, Darnell Savage, a little bit uneven, right? And don't forget, too, they got to figure out what the heck they're doing at corner beyond Jair Alexander. Like, what's realistic to expect after essentially one and a half or nearly two completely wasted seasons for 2021 first round pick Eric Stokes uh, mm-hmm. is Carrington Valentine as good as we think he was uh, as a first year starter and as a rookie 
seventh round pick. I mean, that's a position. Their whole back end is a big question mark. And even the guy that we just got done talking about how good he is missed 10 games and got suspended for a game. So I'm, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do back there. And that would be the most obvious place where they have to figure things out on that side of the ball. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Homer, ask no, him about the combine. Yeah, ask I, him about the combine. I've never understood for years why coaches ever went because I never got a feeling and any stories that the coaches, what they talked about, ever influenced the general manager so much. I think they just went to fiddle and diddle, and I'm surprised it took this long for coaches to not go and give me some information that there's any reason for them to go since they don't know who's going to be taken, and I don't believe they have very much, if any, influence on who the general manager takes. So why go? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on what uh, team you work for. Um, I don't think so. Whether or not, I, well, Do you? I, clear, clearly it does, because there are certain teams where, uh, first of all, the head coach, you know, like Andy Reid, like they've got a GM, right. and the GM certainly – but Andy Reid is kind of the – he's kind of like Mike Holmgren was in Seattle without all the titles. Right, right but There's that a doesn't count. There's teams that are like that. Um, also, I do think that there are teams where the head coach and the general manager are far more collaborative in the process. Uh, I, you know, look, it's hard to criticize Goody because uh, there's been a lot of good players in the last two drafts. Um, Still, I'm not quite ready to proclaim all of them as great players just yet. But, you know, the system, to some degree, has obviously worked. At the same time, you know, if and again, Matt LaFleur has never said this to me directly, but I do think that there is a measure of uh, they, they don't really care what he thinks in right. the personality. And my answer to him would be and that's so, the way it is in most places. I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't think it is. Okay. Like I think, I think, I think Ted and Mike talked a lot. Now Mike wanted veteran players. Right. Mike wanted Ted to be a little more aggressive in free agency, but they definitely talked. See, and I don't, to, about uh, Jason. The I don't care if they talked. I don't care if they talked a hundred day, hundred hours. A day. The question is, what influence did the coach ever have on a GM? If you can tell me, well, the GM wanted this guy, and the coach wanted this, and this influenced the GM to do something. But I've never seen any of those stories. So the talk means nothing because you can always say. We talked, which means diddly squat. Yeah, but I, right, but no one, uh, uh, unless there is a uh, an acrimonious breakup of the coach and the GM, and even then, you know, the coach is obviously trying to get another job. So uh, I am sure there have been instances where there have been vehement disagreements on players, and they never talked about it publicly after the fact. Right, but I would say in uh, most does, of those uh, cases, the GM took what he wanted. So it didn't really matter yeah. the coach talked or didn't talk. I, I just, uh, yeah, I just think uh, I, I am of the belief that the more information, the better. And if you're a, a coach and you get to interact with these guys, especially the position coach, I mean, Brian can tell you, um, I don't know. He was kind of a big deal uh, as a rookie. So I don't know. Did you skip all the workouts? Cause you were such a, uh, no. Surefire first round draft pick. Nope. Okay. Good. I did them all. I, I, didn't I did them all. Did. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think you did. So, you know, like you had certain teams, offensive line coaches running the drills on the field, right. In Indianapolis, like yep. you, there is a value to that. And, and again, apparently none of the Packers coaches are going, it's not just LaFleur right. saying it's all of them. Right. And so I, again, I don't, 
I understand what your argument is, Homer. I don't personally agree with it, but your your point is a very fair and realistic one, which is if I'm a coach and I work at a place where they don't give a damn what I think anyway, uh, then maybe I can be more productive than spending my time at the scouting combine. But, again, you never know what it might be that is turns out to be valuable about being there. Yeah, but and I, I think yes. that's part of the issue. No, I think learning and just being out there and being with guys, I would go up and like, tell them to be with other people, their friends, could talk about other stuff, talk, just do a lot of talking. But everybody knows what influence coaches have, if any. Well, all right, so I'll give you an example, though. Like, And it doesn't have to be with the – and that, that, this is one of the reasons why I disagree, is that it doesn't have to be just the prospects, right? Like whether it's uh, – the example I always use is that uh, in 2002, um, we're at the scouting combine. Uh, I'm walking with M- Mike uh, Sherman across mm-hmm. the street and um, talking with him as we walk. Well, he's on his way to meet with the agent for Terry Glenn, who they're considering acquiring in a trade. And it's it ends up being him, uh, offensive coordinator Tom Rossley, the wide receivers coach at the time, like they had that meeting in Indianapolis uh, because it's the epicenter of the NFL. And that was yep. why they chose to do it there. I'm not saying that there could be those kinds of meetings this week, but you give yourself that another as another opportunity for fact gathering about whatever. Right. And, about, but all uh, I care about is why they took him. And I, and only you can interview those three people up there. Like, why was it done? If it was made, well, that that was that was different because Mike Sherman was both coach correct, coach right? And but I'm GM. saying it's a GM. I, I I think all these, you know, you might not be able to give the information, but you know, you know, the only time I ever heard is when the the scout wanted Joe Montana and Bart started to take him, and he screamed and yelled, and probably wanted everybody to know that. But, um, you know, the 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 meetings <laughs> don't mean anything. If you don't influence the person who's making it, and I don't know how much, how much do the coaches even know who's going to be picked, right? Yeah, but you can't say you you can't say for certain. Like, what if there's a what if you have a meeting and your your GM feels one way about a guy and yeah. your coach feels another way, and then upon further like maybe your disagreement leads to further research on that player, maybe. And then you realize that one or the other is right, and it could be the coach who's right sure. about liking them. So what I'm saying is you, you – I don't know what they're accomplishing by not going, but I know that there are at least the possibilities okay. of getting information that you're not going to get by not going. Okay. Like, I, yeah. I would love to know. And I'm gonna, when I talk to Matt LaFleur next, one of my questions is going to be, tell me about all the stuff you accomplished during the week that you and your staff could have been at the scouting combine, but weren't. Tell oh, yeah. me everything you got done. We got done as much as know. we would have got done by going there, Jason. Well, no, I, I assume they're going to get other stuff done. No, right? maybe not. If they got nothing done there, they can't do less than nothing by not going. Right? No, they, if you're staying back and you're not going to Indianapolis, uh, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, right? but I don't think it's meant to be a week-long vacation. So you better be getting <laughs> something done. I don't right. care if you're uh, analyzing your scheme or whatever right. else. But you don't just get to take that week off. So what did he do instead? That's one of the questions I want to The question ask. is, how much did he feel he had to do instead? Thanks, Jason. All right, guys. Take care. Be good. Thanks, I could, Jason. I could be totally wrong. 
I'd like some information to prove with a story every now and then of the value of a coach going there and information he gave to a GM, and that's why they took him. Or if it was bad. I feel bad. I helped the GM to go to the guy's <laughs> stump. Third quarter, next. You're listening to the Homer Hour on 94.5 ESPN. Behind the Bucks on the Bucks Plus Audio Network, presented by Gallagher. They got it going. They got it figured out. Thanks, Doc. Oh, that wasn't on here. I just added that. Your trusted insurance broker and HR and benefits consultant, that's Gallagher. Behind the Bucks peels back the curtain to give fans unique access and deep storytelling unlike ever before. Yeah, how and when they decided, give the man the ball and let your point guard bring it up most of the time. That wasn't here either. Subscribe and download right now to get a companion podcast of the new Amazon Amazon documentary, Giannis, A Marvelous Journey. Hear about the making of the documentary. Finesse is going deeper on the Giannis stories. I would have preferred Giannis's brother going deeper on the Giannis stories you haven't heard. And learn about how Milwaukee became home for the Atacumbo family. Giannis's family. Find it behind the Bucks at Bucks.com slash plus, the Bucks app, or wherever you get your podcast. I probably should read that again because... Uh, added half of it based on my own personal opinion. Um, all right. Brian Bulaga, the doctor of football. I really, I mean, I, I, I have a bias. I'm irritated by people asking opinions when they have no impact on their decision. Don't waste my time. I'm not bothered. What I'm bothered is acting like asking me serves a purpose. But well, maybe you I mean, haven't I, dealt with that. I don't know how it, you, I, you know, with the Packers and, no, they'd I ask think, your opinion hey, on stuff. I don't think Ron Wolf asked opinions of anybody. No, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think everyone listening, everyone at home, can at least relate to this a little bit, right? Like, I'll give a perfect example, and this I think everyone can relate to this. You know, my wife and I are going out to dinner or going out to a get together, and she comes out with two different shoes on. She goes, "Which one do you like?" And I pick the one. She goes, ah, I'm going to wear this one. If you didn't want my opinion, yes. you yes. never I, yes. <laughs> yes. then I get, I get turned down in the first two seconds. I was like, you should have never even asked. Well, you're going to do it anyway, and that's <laughs> fine. I'm not bothered. I'm only bothered when you ask me as if that's of some value when you yes. make it clear that it's not. Exactly, well, and, I, I, and I tell her, I tell her that all the time, and everyone can relate to that. But that's so when you do the, the same thing, I say to my wife, like, "Why did my? Why did you ask me?" That's exactly that's the first thing I say. And they really right? don't have an immediate answer because I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's part of just being a mom, and you want to make everybody <laughs> yeah. part of the group, and yeah. But, but I think that's what I, I, I think that's the easiest way we can kind of relate yeah. this for people listen about why. Coaches aren't going to the combine because that's kind of the way it is. Like you can give an opinion to a GM, but at the end of the day, I mean, as much, you know, he hires the coach and all that, but at the end of the day, he's going to rely on his scouts and himself anyway. So they're going to make, they're going to make it based on their decision anyway. Um, And that, and that's why I'm kind of, I'm in your camp with this because I know Jay said there's other things that happen at the combine, but the days of, kind of the coach GM is slowly fading, right? So, like, he gave the example of of uh, Sherman going into a negotiation with, a, with an agent for a trade. Like, coaches have nothing to do with that anymore. Like, all the business that happens at the combine with these agents is all with the GM and guys like Russ Ball. So, like, 
there's none of that going on where coaches are sitting in on these meetings, giving their opinion on who should we, you know, how much should we pay this guy or should we do this or this? This is the GM decision. Obviously it's a very simple decision. Say you're at the combine and for the chiefs, Chris Jones's agent goes in to talk to Andy Reid and Veach, the GM. That's a pretty easy decision, right? Like yep. the head, the head coach wants them. The GM obviously wants them. Everyone knows they want them. That's a done deal. Now right? I want to like I want to bring up Camp because you're right. I think spectacular coach. I can see a GM before the combine or at some point saying, "Hey, I'd like you to look at the tape of this guy and see what you think." Oh, and, yeah. and to Ab- me, that would make a coach feel special way more. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Yeah, and I and, I and, bet it happens. Or I don't. I don't. There are ways to to get input from coaches. We got a break here, and then we're going to get the football man. Of football, Brian Gulagas. I'll get. I'll let get him get his answer, and I won't interrupt for the ninth time. And those people that don't like it sucks for you. Next, yes, the doctor of football will finish after I tell you about Saganiac Planning because I got to make a change. Saganiac Planning, a name synonymous with employee benefits and top-notch service. That's true, but I left out doing it well for over fifty years. Family owned for over fifty years. That's how they can be so good. That's why they can simplify confusing insurance decisions. That's how they came up with level-funded health insurance. That's how they can be small enough to handle your needs with special attention and large enough to have the clout to make it happen. People know, so good for so long. So, Saganiac Planning, a name synonymous with employee benefits and top-notch service for over 50 years. All right, the doctor of football. Say whatever you want for the final four and a half minutes. I'll not say a word. Uh, Well, I mean, I lost my train of thought, but, you know, (laughs) <laughs> I it's it's funny that, you know, because uh, I, I like to watch a little bit of the combine just for the fact to hear what the guys talking about it are saying. Right. Because it th- this is the time of the year where the Kuipers and the McShay, I don't even know if McShay does it anymore. Um, but all yeah, those he guys, still does it. I think oh, he's still, he, did he get he axed with it. the others? I don't uh, I lost track. You're right. They have different people. Uh, yeah. But it used to be. Uh, the old the GM from the Raiders, he used to be on there. Uh, he uh, got fired with Mike. With Gruden. Uh, Mike, uh, yeah, he was pretty good. I'll think of his last name. Yeah, sorry, I should have on... shut up. I can't. No, but like he's on there, and like I just always like to hear what they say and how they're nitpicking guys and what they're saying is the knock on guys and things like that because it just reminds me of like when I was going through it. My the big knock on me was that I had two short arms to play tackle in the NFL. And I find it did you? very fu- I mean, apparently not. Well, right? no, like, but I is, mean, did it, does, is there legitimacy to making it tougher? You could have been the exception. I mean, you have, you have a, like a list of 20 other skills, but when yeah, you watch but, offensive linemen, is it tougher when you have shorter arms? Yes or no? No. I mean, you know, right. who made it look, you know, who had shorter arms that just got a gold jacket, Joe Thomas. Okay. He made it look, he made All it look right. pretty easy. Clifton technically had shorter. So you arms. think you think that line that's crap. You judge players on everything yeah. else, and the length of their arms should be like fiftieth on the list. Okay. I mean, I think you can tell if a guy knows how to use leverage and hand usage based on what he does on tape, right? Like if you really want to find out if like the knocks on these guys are even real or if they're just superficial and they're talking I bring you in. Look, I, yeah. Bulag, I want you to look at this tape. Mike Mayock is the guy's name. Yes, Mayock. That's uh, it, Mayock. But yeah. anyway. Uh, but that's how I 
always look at the combine is based on film study and how do you how do these guys perform against high level talent that's why when you always find these guys that come out of the mac schools and smaller schools that are gems those are the, the scouting departments that are good right because they're not going against technically high level competition with these smaller schools and those but you you see how guys perform against high level players in college because obviously we all know only so many guys are drafted every year. Not everyone's high level, but you get a good, good feel for how guys do against high level competition. And that's why I'm always amazed when I turn on the combine and I start hearing these things that he really needs to run in the four fives. He really need, this guy needs to have a great short shuttle time. It's like, why does he need to have that? I don't understand. What did we not learn from him on tape? That we didn't learn, you know, him running in the straight right. line. So you 40, want what he can and can't do, and why is somewhat irrelevant, right? This is yes. what the guy did. This was his strengths. Yeah. So you should yes. you should have a. I don't know. I'll have to ask. I got a guy who I have a great deal of respect for, and he does this, and I think he does it well. I'm going to ask him to to give me a couple players to have you look at. I love it. All right. I, I would definitely do it. Yeah, we'd love it too because I'd be curious yeah. to. What you see and say, and I, I want to, Ryan Wolf taught me this, and I agree. It's really hard. It's hard to do. You have all these teams, and it's tough to judge talent and be that good. As he said, everybody screws up all the time. That's why I want as many, as many picks as possible. So it's yep. even the guys I, in the Hall of Fame talk about how tough it is. All right, the doctor of football checking out a couple of offensive linemen in the draft. Can't wait. It might be so good, Doc that I won't even interrupt you while you're giving us your analysis of the players. You buying that? You believe that? Uh, no, I don't. Right. I do not. Next. I do not. Thanks. Appreciate your support. Next.